Good morning. You know, we're so blessed that this has been a mild winter, hasn't it? And uh, none of us have any excuse not to be in God's house. And uh, we're we're just such a blessed people, uh, even if we are Missourians. It's uh, it's a great place to be on a Sunday, isn't it? Please take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 John chapter 4. 1 John chapter 4. You ever tell somebody that you love them, and then you say, man, I really love you, and I'll, I'll see you in about a year. Uh, you know, when you tell somebody that you love them, you want to demonstrate that love. You know, you want to do things for them. You want to be with them. And, you know, uh, when, when I mentioned this before, but when people get married or they're planning to get married, and, and you know, you ask the guy, what, what are you going to do for your bride-to-be? And he said, I want to provide for her food, clo- food, clothing, and shelter. And I've told you this before. She can get that at the Red Cross. You don't need the guy for that. But uh, what a woman needs is unity, security, identity, and destiny. And, uh, you know, you don't hear about that unless you go to counseling classes. But those are much more important things. Those, those are demonstration of, some, of loving somebody, not food, clothes, and shelter. You can get that anywhere. You can go, go to the mission house and get that. But security, unity, identity, destiny. And uh, when we say that we love somebody, that, that love demands an action. So how do, you, how do you show that to somebody? Well, let's look at our text for today in 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7. Behold, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we love God, but that He has loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, when we use the word propitiation, you understand it to be that Jesus bore our sin. He also bore His Father's wrath. That's propitiation. Uh, the Greek word is halasmus, but that... That propitiatory work, he, he bears our sin. You heard, you sang in the song, you know, he bore our sin in his shoulders. He bears our sin, but at the same time, he bore the Father's wrath. It's a propitiatory work. Not expiatory, but propitiatory. It's not just a removal of guilt. That's expiation. Not just a removal of guilt, but bearing the guilt and, and, and bearing the wrath at the same time. That's propitiatory. So, verse 11 says, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Except business me, no. We ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him 
and he in us because he has given us his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Folks, there's only one Savior. Only one. There's, you know, I don't care what you've heard or who said it. If they told you anything different, they're lying to you. There are not many ways to glory. There's only one way. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. One way. So when we tell somebody that we love them, we want to demonstrate that love. In many ways, we demonstrate that love. So we look at verse 7 of our text, and we read these words, love one another. And we find those words three times, verse 7, verse 11, and verse 12. Three times it says we're to love one another. In essence, what we have here is a mandated obligation on our part to love by word and action, our Christian brothers and sisters. You cannot say, I just cannot stand that person. You know, I know that that may happen in other churches. It never would happen here, though. I just can't stand. Folks, when you do that, we, there is a problem with what we read in Scripture and what those words say. We may say, I dislike what that person is doing, but we cannot say that I hate or I cannot stand this person. There is no one that should be more hated by God than any human being. All of us, all of us deserve nothing but God's wrath and God's hatred and God's condemnation and His judgment. If anybody has the right to say, I cannot stand, it would be God toward all humanity. It is our sin that put him on the cross. Well, let's, let's look at this. Love by God is demonstrated to us in that God revealed himself to us in the person and in the work of his son, Jesus Christ. We read in the Bible John 3, 16, and, and sometimes we just, we zip through that so fast, like an arrow shot at a target. And, but listen, it says, for God so loved that he did what? He sent. God's love demonstrates an action. For God so loved, he sent. Correct? This love of God then became a human demonstration of a sac- of self-sacrificial love. In his commentary on the epistles of John, a fellow by the name of John R.W. Stott writes this. It is because God's love in himself, that's verses 8 and 16, God's love in himself has loved us in Christ, verses 10 and 11, and continues to love us, love in and through us, verses 12 and 13. Listen, God's love that began in himself, demonstrated in Christ, continues in us, verses 12 and 13, that we must, that we must love one another. Now, it should be evident to all of us that God's own nature possesses love. God, it says God is love. God and His nature possesses love. However, let's just not simply limit this love of God to His nature. 
But let's say that love is expressed in his nature in and through his son. We see the perfect demonstration of God's love in the person of Jesus Christ. He loved us self-sacrificially. He gave himself up for us because he loves us. So what we see in God's nature and what is revealed in and through his son is to be seen in and through our own lives. What, what we see in God's nature, what Jesus has shown us through his love and his work and his ministry and his death on the cross needs to be evident in us. That when we meet one another, there ought to be a, a demonstration of love. Now, I don't, I don't, I'm not saying we should go around like nutty. But when you meet another brother or sister in the Lord, our hearts ought to leap for joy because, folks, that same person, that very same person, I don't care what color they are, what nationality they are, what country they come from, who, short, tall, white, dark, brown, purple, yellow, pink, it doesn't matter. Listen, that person who knows Jesus Christ, that person is going to be in glory with you. They may be your neighbor. If you don't love them now, you ain't going to love them then. We're to love one another. Let's be careful and not think that love is something that God just happens to do from time to time. You know, sometimes God's a God of love, sometimes He's a God of wrath, and sometimes He's a. No, listen. It would be more correct for us to say that love is a part of everything. Listen, love is a part of everything that God does. Even when it comes down to judgment, God judges in love. Even judgment is measured out with God's love. You may be thinking, how can there be love in judgment? You know, when a, when a, when a parent disciplines a child, and, and they foolishly say, we do, this is going to hurt me more than it does you. Uh, I'm, I'm sure that child would like to change places with you, wouldn't he or she? They'd love to change places with you. Uh, but it does hurt the parent. It, it, it hurts the parent here to discipline a child by, by corporal discipline, doesn't it? Are we still allowed to do that? It bothers a parent. But as far as the pain is administered, that, that child's going to sense that pain. The most horrific judgment of all time was meted out in the crucifixion of his own son. God's, God's most strictest, most horrific judgment was demonstrated on his own son. But doesn't that also speak of his love? You say, how, how, can you look, how can you look at God's wrath on his son Jesus and, and see God's love in that? But are you not familiar with Romans chapter 5 and verse 8? Where the scripture says, but God demonstrated his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's a crucifixion. It's a demonstration of God's love for you and Jesus' love for you. Jesus is God. God's love for you is demonstrated in the cross. And aren't you also familiar with Romans 8, 35 and 38 and 39? Listen to what, listen to what Paul writes at the, at the end of chapter 8 of Romans. He says, 
Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you say amen to that? Now let's focus for a bit on verse 10. Verse 10 says, And this is love. Listen, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. That's a demonstration of love, isn't it? And sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. So let's get straight to the, to the bottom line on, the, on, on, on this and say without any equivocation, God the Father, God the Father sent his son to die for us. It is Jesus, listen folks, it is Jesus who is the Savior of the world, verse 14. It is Jesus who is the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world, John 1, 29. It is Jesus who is the propitiation for our sins, 1 John 2, 2. It is Jesus who is the Lamb in the center of the throne who will be our shepherd and will guide us to springs of the water of life, Revelation 7, 12. And it is Jesus the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. And he has made us to be a kingdom of priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Revelation 1, verses 5 and 6. Folks, that's who Jesus is. He's just not some figure in religion. It's just not some, some crutch that we hold on to in order to steady ourselves in, 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 in times of crisis. But He is the God of creation. He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He sustains this world. There's not a molecule that runs wild in this universe that God is not altogether familiar with. That's Jesus. In all things, the Scripture says that He is to have the preeminence. And yet we run around and we're, we're so narcissistic. We think so highly of ourselves that we can do all that we purpose and plan to do. But there's coming a day, my friends, when we think that we are so high and so mighty, there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that it is Jesus Christ who is Lord. Not you, not I, not the government, not, not what color we are, it is Jesus Christ. Oh, listen. We may not have much here in this world, folks. We may not have much. But friends, let me assure you that there is a day of coronation coming where we shall walk on streets of gold. We shall dwell in homes which the Son of God has prepared for us. We will be dining in the finest establishment in all of God's glorious kingdom. We will be given a crown for our heads that will be assigned to all the heavenly hosts that we are a child of the King, the bride of Christ, that we are, the, that we are grace-gifted, Bible-bred, and blood-bought. Oh, friends, listen. That ought to make us want to stand up and shout hallelujah. 
That's who you are. You are God's kid. And because God has loved us, we are to love one another. It's not a suggestion. It's not a recommendation. It's a requirement. It's a mandated obligation that we're to love one another. And then we read in verse 11. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. If God loves us that much, then we should love one another and, you know what, show it. Baptists are funny people. Have you ever walked into a church, not been there before, or if you've been there before, you've not been there much. You, you, you walk into a church, and you sit down in a pew. This happened to me one time. Actually, my wife and I both together walked into a church, sat down. I don't know if my wife even remembers this. And... Uh, Services already started, and then there was this meet and greet time. You know, you get up and shake hands with the neighbor around you. And this one lady walks up to me. She says, You know, she says, That's where I normally sit. But I'll, I'll let you sit there today. So after I asked her for a glossy and an autograph, no, <laughs> The whole world is going to hell. We're wondering where we're going to sit. Is that a demonstration of love? Would it not be much better to look at somebody and say, Brother, sister, I'm so glad you're here today. I don't care where you sit. I don't care where you park your car. I'm just glad you're here. I don't care what clothes you're wearing. I'm just glad you're here. Is that not what one of the demonstrations ought to be? When somebody pulls into our parking lot here at this church, there must be, when that person walks and gets into that parking lot, the first person they meet coming into this church, there ought to be a demonstration of love. We're so glad you're here today. Instead of, I don't know how you found us. No, just. This verse, verse 11, it is not some suggested way to get involved in some random act of kindness. It's an obligation. How can we say we've been to the cross of Christ for salvation and walk away from there only to live a life of misery and selfishness? And selfishness? How do we do that? How is that possible? How, how can you walk away from the cross of Christ in salvation and then look at your brother and your sister who also is like yourself, a person of, 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 of human flesh and skin who has also met Christ? How can you not love that same person that Christ has died for also? How can you not love them? 
Love requires and demands action, not an action of disunity, hatred, or bitterness and, and indifference, but of an action that promotes the truth that the God of glory resides in you and I. I want to close this message by looking at the first three words of verse 13. Look at the first three words of verse, uh, first four words of verse 13. By this we know. First four words, by this we know. If you look back at verse 12, you read, no one has seen God at any time. Now, think about this. No one has seen God at any time, but says, by this we know. How can you know something that, you don't, that you've never empirically handled, touched, heard, smelled? How is that possible? How can you know without seeing them? How can you know without touching them? How can a husband say he knows his wife without seeing her, touching her, hearing from her? How is that possible? But yet we have it right here in Scripture. By this we know, but no one has ever seen God at any time. So my question to you is, how can we know someone we've never seen, heard, touched, etc.? You ready for the answer? I'm going to give you the answer here. It says at the, at the tail end of verse 13. You see what that says? Because he has given us what? His spirit. He has given us his spirit. When you rub shoulders with a brother and sister in Christ, doesn't it make your heart feel good? When you go to a ball game, and you watch the greatest team in all the world, the Pittsburgh Steelers, play ball. Wouldn't it make you feel better to be seated next to a Christian who's not going to dump his beer on you than to be seated next to somebody that spends $1,000 on whatever alcohol is out there? Wouldn't you rather sit with that person? If you're going to rub shoulders with someone, wouldn't you like to rub shoulders with somebody that has a kindred spirit as you do? When you come to church, isn't it good to know that you can come to church and we all agree on this, that we come to church to worship God? Doesn't it make you feel good that you've come here to worship God? Oh, and by the way, you know, for the last few weeks I've been talking about uh, the Greek syntax, where it talks about the, the present tense in Greek. Do you know, do you know the word spirit here, that he has given us his spirit? He has given us his spirit. That, that phrase, he has given us his spirit, is in the present tense in the Greek. That means it's something that began back when, continues forever. There's permanency. It has permanency. That should, listen, folks, that should make you sleep better tonight. Not that you're going to lose what God has given you, but it is, it is permanently yours. That salvation is permanently yours because He has forever given you His Spirit. He resides in you. First, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, that you've made partakers of a divine nature. 
That's forever. It is just as the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 1.27. Colossians 1.27, listen, Paul says, It is Christ in you who is the hope of glory. Today, after you leave here, you're going to go to the restaurant. You're going to beat the Methodists to the restaurant. You're going to, you're, 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 going to walk, you're going to walk up there, and that waitress is going to say, what do you want? You say, may I help you? Have you, ever want, have you ever thought this, that when that person approaches you, waitress or whoever approaches you, yeah, give me these. When we speak to somebody, we can look like we've been eating oatmeal from the open end of a sewer line, or we can approach them with a smile. We can be kind. We can be courteous. And, ladies and gentlemen, we can offer them a decent tip. You know, the last thing you want to hear is, oh, here come those Christians. We'll get nothing out of this deal. Folks, Whatever you have in the bank, in your purse, in your pocket, in your wallet, whatever you have, God gave it to you. It belongs to God. And if you get rid of some of it, you know what? He can give you more. We, we fret about things. God says, why, why are you worried? Remember, we just talked about this on January the 1st. Why are you worried about these things? He says, I take care of the birds. I can take care of you. I can, listen, I take care of the lilies of the field. I can take care of you. Why do we worry about these things? Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. Friends, look at the scripture. In it, you will find absolute truth. And one of the great mysteries, one of the great truths is this, that our God, our God is a triune God, that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not that there's three gods, there's one God, but there are three persons and one God, Father, Son, and Spirit. The Father, listen very carefully, the Father has sent the Son to be our Savior, and He has placed His Holy Spirit within us to be the witness to us of His eternal presence. It's a demonstration of His love. The Father sends the Son, and the Son has placed the Spirit within us. The Holy Spirit is our guide. The Holy Spirit is a witness of His eternal presence. Do you see how much God has loved us? Oh, my friends, that is love in its fullest measure. We are so blessed. We are so blessed. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to be a loving people. And Lord, sometimes there's a little bit of sourness in us. 
Lord, excuse us for that sourness, and please replace that with, with love. Lord, to enjoy to be with one another. Father, Sunday mornings are a time for us to all be together in worship, to love you, to thank you, to bless you, Father, for what you've done for us and who you are in us. Lord, you are our creator, God. You are sustainer, God. You're redeemer, God. We just thank you for that. Lord, as we come to this time of response, Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit will work in the lives of, of people he's already planned to, to, to promote the presence of Christ to. So, Lord, thank you, Lord, for doing your work on your time schedule. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. My friend, I want to ask you a simple question. Do you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? It's not a hard question. You either answer yes or no to that. But have you had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ? If you've not had that personal encounter with Him, I'm, I'm not asking you to become a Baptist. I'm not asking you to be baptized in our baptistry. I'm not asking you to join Hazelwood Baptist Church. I'm asking you, have you had an encounter with Jesus Christ? Have you had that encounter with Christ today? If you sense in your heart the Holy Spirit has drawn you to Jesus Christ, would you come to Him and say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I recognize that I am a sinner. I trust in you to be my Savior and my Lord. I give you, I yield myself to you. Thank you, Jesus.